all I've done without me a car and when I'm broadcasting about his bikes, he's just done what I always do, and that's be brutally honest. Now, my honesty sometimes gets me into trouble because I just tell it how it is. And when he fights, you know, he's got a bit of a dodgy chin. When he fought Kel Brook, he was all over the place. So I just said it out. Sometimes when I say it straight, it upsets people. But I've got no, mate, I've got the energy all the time to have beef with Amir Khan. Amir Khan was a fantastic fighter who's had an unbelievable career and he's got one of the best CVs in the world. Look at his CV and look at, look at my CV. The, fight, the people we fought, the champions we fought, champions that we've beat that's gone on to become champions, past, present and future, all that. Look at all the statistics and there's my career, Amir Khan's career, probably an addict to Lewis. There's very few. Joe Calzaghe's got a good career, but if you look at the resume of the fighters he's fought for many years when he was defending, it's not that, it's not that clever that he had Roy Jones and Hopkins at the end of his career. So... And welcome back everybody. As always, you know what time it is. You know what platform this is. The number one podcast in the sport where Johnny Nelson's got the fans riled up again with his comments about Usyk, which to be honest with you, I'm quite sympathetic towards. And I know this annoys people who like to class themselves as hardcores and experts, but Johnny's 100% right. Anyone that's been around gyms long enough knows that there are people that you class as one-offs. Some never even turn amateur. Some definitely don't turn pro, right? But they'll be in gyms everywhere. Miguel's, um, St. Thomas is up in Winkerbank. They'll be up there. Cost, Mollet. Let me start again. Colin Hurston, Mostyn. They'll be everywhere. Right? They're in all of these gyms in Newport, in Dublin. There are these people who, they do things that don't make sense. And they make it work, Right? They're freaks, they're one-offs, they're people who you're just like, how on earth does this work? And you can look through history, Muhammad Ali, prime example, right? Prime example, no one's been able to replicate what he does since, right? So he's a good example. Even if you go back to stay in the 60s and look at someone like a Dick Tiger, Georgie Benton, guys who had freakish perceptions. I know Spencer Fearon talks a lot about Ezra Charles, um, I, I, I watch him respectfully, but he's not a guy I class as a one-off. He's just a, a damn good boxer, fundamentally brilliant boxer. And you got guys like Sugar Ray Leonard. You watch those videos and you remember the, the crazy flurries that he, he'd let go. And you think, how, how does he get away with that at the top level of the sport? Because I think he did it against like Wilfred Benitez. Wow. Right? Duran. Freak. Some of the stuff he does doesn't make sense. But it's stuff that he figured out for himself. Roy Jones Jr., another one. Now, people will say, what about James Tony? Tony is much like Ezra Charles. Fundamentally and technically brilliant boxer. Does everything the right way. And so when you're talking about those one-offs, it's people who do things in that counterintuitive way, like a Pernell Whitaker, Roy Jones, uh, Manny Pacquiao is one of them. And people say Mayweather. Now, Mayweather was, like Ezra Charles, James Tony, fundamentally sound. I'd put Cal Zaggy in that one-off category as well, to be honest with you. People who just do stuff that's just counterintuitive. And so, it's a high standard for someone to say, you're a special anything, never mind a special Southpaw. And I understand exactly what Johnny means when he says Usyk's a good Southpaw, very basic Southpaw. If you don't believe me, just listen to what I'm about to say and go back and watch Usyk's recent fights. 
Usyk's gift is after every initial contact, he knows how to pull his head out to the right. Right? On occasion, he'll pull his head out to the left, but he'll never attack from that position. He doesn't know how to, it would seem. But when he pulls his head out to the right, everything flows naturally. Once he's got that dominant foot position, he's, yeah, he's too fast, he's too consistent for the bigger guys to keep up with him. And the biggest surprises of all the people Joshua has around him in that camp, that none of them watched even just the Bellew fight and said, maybe if we shut down that escape route for him. And can I just add another one-off for me in terms of boxing? Chris Bird. Like, Chris Bird did stuff that doesn't make any sense. And you can put him as a direct comparison to Usyk. And I think for being a one-off, Chris Bird more so than Alexander Usyk. If you don't believe me, look at how Usyk looks physically. Look at how Chris Bird looked physically. Chris Bird was basically a blown-up lightweight fighting a heavyweight. Usyk was a blown-up cruiserweight fighting a heavyweight. Massive difference. And the fact that, in my eyes, Chris Bird dealt with the bigger punches compared to Usyk should also count in his favor. But that's a sidetrack. But here's, here's what I want to say. And, and, and watch out for this in the rematch and see. This is going to be the Angel Fernandez-Robert Garcia test. Can Joshua stop Usyk pulling his head out to the right after every contact? So you know when they touch jabs, right? Because it's going to be orthodox versus southpaw. So left hand and right hand will touch. Usyk will touch a couple of times, pull his head out to the right, then spin round that lead hand of Joshua's ready to work again. All, well, I say all advisedly, but... All Team Joshua should be focusing on right now is making sure Usyk can only go one way, and that is from his right to his left. And here's why. Most orthodox boxers really want to throw their right hand when the opponent's moving from his right to his left because you're going to walk onto that shot, and that's when you get hurt. That's why you're encouraged generally in boxing to circle to your right away from the power hand. Like basic boxing logic, and it works, and it persists to this day. Usyk understands that. So he knows that by moving to his right, he takes away your biggest weapon. Now, if Joshua was a left-handed orthodox fighter, it would be a different challenge for him, I reckon. And Joshua would probably be able to get away with a lot more because that would be his natural side. But unfortunately, it's not. So Team Joshua literally just have to sit there and just repeat this. Every time the southpaw touches, Joshua's got to move immediately to his left before his opponent does. Every time. And once he drills that, what he will do, it's not necessarily a guarantee that he'll win, but he'll force Usyk to fight in places he can't normally fight well from. The other person who did this really well was Teofimo Lopez. Team Lopez realized that if you make Loma fight from his left-hand side, he's not the same fighter. And it wasn't until Teo got tired and couldn't establish dominance on that lead foot side that Loma came back into the fight. If he had been able to hold those tactics for the whole fight, I think he would have crushed Loma. I don't know if he would have stopped him, but he would have crushed him. But tiredness kicked in because you need years of experience in how to manage that tactical discipline at the pace that the Ukrainian boxers like Usyk and Lomachenko set. So to come back to what Johnny said, Usyk is good fundamentally sound really good like doesn't make a lot of mistakes technically but he's limited touch pull your head out to the right swing all the way around let a few combinations go now you've got your guy just 
discombobulated. Let a few more shots go, right? Okay, cool, fantastic. But Usyk doesn't really roll. He doesn't really slip and slide. He doesn't do all of that other stuff. He's not unorthodox in that sense. So he doesn't really seek those high levels of what we class as genius. But for the tools that he uses, he's probably the best in the world right now at it. But I understand fully what Johnny's saying. But actually, that's not the purpose of the episode. You've seen the title. So that was more just a, a thought that I had as I was recording. Really, what I want to talk about is where are we in boxing right now? We're, we're about, what, five and a half years hence from the Gale versus Badu Jack. I think that was 2017. Um, I think we're sort of up from Frampton versus Santa Cruz 2. All of this stuff, like that great year of boxing. And even Hey Bellew was a great event. Joshua versus Klitschko, another great event. We're about five and a bit years up from that, right? Right? That was meant to be the, the catalyst for this golden age of boxing where everybody got to make money. It didn't matter what you did. If you had a podcast, this was your time to make money as boxing went fully mainstream. If you had you know, a camera and a microphone and you shoved it in people's faces and asked them questions, this was your chance to turn your company into a £50 million pound company. 2017 was meant to be that jump-off point, that inflection point, you know, the the line where there was a before and an after. That was the commitment we were given. And to give the Americans their due, they put their guys in the ring and we got to see all of them. And it forced the UK to follow suit. So credit to everyone for giving us a great year in 2017. But we haven't had one since. We truly haven't had one since. So now we've got to start talking about what's gone wrong, where are we now, <laughs> and what can we look forward to? Because this isn't a good scenario for us. I, I don't think boxing has crept into the casual sport discussion the way it should. With the exception of Fury, Joshua and Dillian. Maybe Eubank Jr. to an extent. But they had that press conference for Savannah Marshall versus Clarissa Shields. And that didn't really, that didn't trend anywhere apart from boxing circles, right? It didn't. Because quite frankly, you've got the... The Women's World, I think it's the World Cup, right? You've got the Women's World Cup happening now. And because of that, that's kind of where the female sport energy is directed. And that's unfortunate. It's actually a real shame that Sky couldn't find a way to partner with that to then leverage the combined eyes on the prize there. And I think that's a bit of a, an open goal and a missed opportunity. I've said it numerous times. I've said it on different platforms. 2017 scared promoters because... You almost gave the fans too much. You oversaturated the market. And so it was hard to achieve full economic value in each one of those fights because it seemed every two weeks there was a massive fight that fans wanted to see. And so you saw a gradual walking back from that position. Um, if, you, if you think about Joshua, until, until this Usyk fight, he hadn't really fought... He, look, from Klitschko to Usyk, he hadn't fought anyone we wanted him to fight. Didn't fight Fury, didn't fight Wilder, didn't fight Luis Ortiz, didn't really do anything of the sort. He, he fought people he should beat. So they, they, they played it safe and said, we're going to drag these fights out until we get a window where we can maximise our return. I think you saw the same with all the other leading boxers. It's, it's now, right, we're going to drag this out for as long as we can until we can get the fight we want. 
And it baffles me because remember 2017 is when Spence beat Kell Brook for that IBF belt. Five years later, we now have the prospect of a unification with him and Crawford. And that wasn't the original thought we had for a unification. If you remember, it was like he might have to unify against Danny Garcia or unify against Thurman or maybe unify against Pacquiao. We weren't even talking about Crawford way back when, unless you were hardcore, then maybe you were. And so five years later, here's where we are. Promoters will drag it out for as long as they can so they can find a window in which to cash out. And fans need to be aware of this because you don't let yourself get played. Yeah, don't. The promoters are scared of giving fans too much and definitely giving fans too much for free. Because they understand that we're going to get to a point where we're back in the dark ages of boxing. I think that's where we're headed, actually, if I'm being honest with you. We're headed back to the eras of the John Thaxtons and the Davy Stewarts and so forth of the 2000s where shows are being held in, I don't even know, man, Portsmouth Leisure Centre or Portsmouth Old Maritimers Hall. And, you know, and it all looked like a Nathan Heaney fight, essentially, just just raw and agricultural and no real finesse to it. And I'm worried that we may end up back there again. But let's look at where we are now. 2022. So we're a year post matchroom sky separating. And it actually feels like a relationship, right? Because one of the people in the relationship left and shacked up immediately, seems to be engaged and married with kids and they're planning you know, where to buy the house in the country. And the other partner still can't believe it's over. And they're still going to the same restaurants they used to go to, still going to the same cinema, going to the same pub for the Sunday roast, still doing everything they did before in the hope that they can recapture that feeling and that energy. And that's what it feels like between Matchroom uh, slash The Zone and Boxer slash Sky right now. We'll come on to Frank in a second. But... No, when we looked at the separation, we thought it was going to be hard for Eddie. What's Eddie going to do without the Sky Machine? And what Eddie showed is he is the machine. He still controls the voice when it comes to boxing in the United Kingdom, probably in the United States too. Eddie Hearn is the face and the voice of boxing right now. And it doesn't pay me to say it. That's why I can say it with comfort. He is the face and the voice of boxing right now. That a 43-year-old man should be in that position baffles me. But he is. He's like a, like a Don King Zero or Diet Don King at the moment where he just puts himself into everything and he keeps talking. Fair play to him because what he's proven is that's the best model there is in boxing because Sky thought they could do away with him and they haven't been able to garner the traction. They haven't been able to garner the energy, the support, none of that. Meanwhile, Eddie's gone over to the zone of an app that most people listening to this don't own and probably won't own for a long time. And he's still been able to be front and center when it comes to all things boxing. How Sky have managed to screw this up is completely beyond me, but there's clearly been no forward planning at all when it comes to this. And for all of Eddie's sins, give him credit. Like he's, he's found another gear. I don't think he's as inflammatory as he was before. I think he's a bit more measured in the way he talks. Now he definitely dresses better than he did before. Uh, I guess he's had to become more serious now that the relationship with the zone's formalized and like they're basically in bed together. So I, I, I watch with great interest as how he does this because also remember, 
when you're getting that private equity investment to the tune of 170, 175 million, you can't just be a loose cannon anymore because you've got investors who are like, we need a return. So he, he's probably going to have his chain yanked pretty hard by the investors. I can see why. But to be able to take out a portion of that 175, kudos to him because he has worked. Like I, I look at what Eddie Hearn does and I go, when do you have time for family? When do you have time for your friends? So I, I, I give him a hard time when he deserves one, but I'm going to give him a, um, a pat on the back when he deserves one. To be able to do that, to create a seven, eight hundred million pound business out of boxing, kudos to him. And you get the impression that he's not done yet. So now if you're Sky, you're like, maybe we should have trusted him a bit more. Maybe he knew what he was doing more because the problem Sky had when Eddie was there persist to this day. They're still there, same problems. Whereas DeZone have different problems, but also, and we'll touch on this in a second, Eddie's taken DeZone in a different lane. And I, 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 I like that. I, that puts a smile on my face. The thing I don't like is Frank has seen the separation, the chaos, the split, the who will go with Sky, who will go with Matchroom. He's seen all of this and still managed to end up at the back of the pack. It, it, it's almost like, I, I say this repeatedly, Frank Warren is Ronnie Rosenthal against Aston Villa. Like the goal's wide open, is gaping, and he finds a way to hit the bar. Not even to get it over the bar, he finds a way to hit the bar. And boxing history will remember this. For for all the Fury versus White stuff and all of this, when it comes down to it, Frank has never been able to usurp either Sky or Matchroom. So if you're BT, you're looking at your product. Because you watch Sky and you watch the zone and you'll go. This isn't good. Generally speaking, this isn't good. I don't know who these people are. I know everyone on DAZN. I know everyone on Sky. But who are these people on BT Sport? And why should I care about them? And it's not that they're third-rate talents. It's just that no one knows who they are. No one's made a concerted effort to build a star at Queensbury. You know, and I feel for guys like Dev, because Dev tries, right? Dev gets people on his, what do they call it? The Queensbury Lowdown. And he, he does his thing. And Dev's a good talker. I think Dev is an asset to Queensbury right now. But has Dev got that latitude to build the story? Can Dev go into Queensbury and go, why don't we take Denzel Bentley and have him play, do a preseason at Dulwich Hamlet or do a basketball preseason with the London Towers? Oh, in contrast, why don't we take Joe Joyce, take him down to London Harlequins and see what he would do in a rugby preseason? What would he be able to do? And I know people say, oh, but you risk injury. You can mitigate against that. Has Dev got the latitude to experiment, to find out what can get people over? Because he's got the ideas. He's a smart young man. He's in his mid-30s. He's peaking. Are they going to give him the latitude? Because BT Sport are way behind everyone else. And I don't think that was the intention, but that's ultimately where we are. So what's useful now is, I guess, we've got to look at the crown jewels in each estate and then go, who's really got what? Because that will give you a massive indicator of, of where the power lies in British boxing. Now, what's a crown jewel? For me, a crown jewel is anyone that can fight for a world title in the next 18 months. So by the end of next year, they could have realistically been in a world title fight. 
And if you look at Sky, who have you really got? Clarissa Shields, yeah. Savannah Marshall, yeah. By virtue of the fact that they're so dominant in their respective weight classes, they could easily just fight for another world title straight away. And it's not like it's a massively deep pool of women's boxing. I put Natasha Jonas in there. Natasha Jonas will only ever be in world title fights between now and the end of her career. And that's what she deserves because I think she's done fantastically well for herself and also for the brand that is Sky slash Boxer. And then you start looking around and going, well, who else? Huey Fury? Fight for world title in 18 months? It's possible. But he's going to have to be tested. Joseph Parker? Unfortunately and begrudgingly, I have to say yes to that. Richard Riekpel? Should have already happened. I think... I think... After that Braders loss on Saturday, which, by the way, didn't surprise me, and further validates my, my theory that this era of cruiserweights has been mediocre, and Usyk was just the best of a mediocre bunch. So Richard could easily fight for world title now. Sky just has to put the money up. I think Richard BZJ or Pertier, whatever his name is, the Australian guy, I think Richard knocks him spark out, if I'm being honest with you. So I wouldn't be surprised if if they start putting the money up for the world titles, now get the unification with Akoli. And then there are a couple of maybes for me. Chris Eubank Jr. is a maybe, and he's a maybe because no one really knows what he wants to do. Does he want to fight for a world title? Does he just want to have domestic dust-ups and make as much money as he can for his little risk? Zero idea. Absolutely no idea. But the middleweight division is that flat at the moment that it could happen. He could fight for a world title, you could put him in with, uh, I don't even know, man. They'll probably dig up William Monroe Jr. Or who even knows? Devryanchenko. And Eubanks should be able to win against those guys. But he's a, he's a big maybe. And then the wild card is Dan Aziz. Do you put Dan in there at world level? I don't see why not. I genuinely don't. And people say, yeah, you just say that because he's your mate. Partly. But... Dan is who Dan will ever be in the boxing ring now. Bit of now, bit of experience, yeah. But if he can't take the shots from a Bivol or a Baturbiev now, he'll never be able to take him. So what are you delaying? I mean, just let him get stuck in. I think Dan could be an asset to Sky. I don't think they've, they don't build him properly. Like I said about Dev, like who do they trust to build something around these guys? to build content around these guys that will get them noticed and make them interesting. Has Dan been on Soccer AM? Maybe he has been, but I don't know. <laughs> I saw a video of him trying to do mobility stuff. Maybe he shouldn't be kicking footballs, if I'm being honest. But I'd like to see Dan in that world title picture, at least by early next year, because otherwise, what's the point in signing him? But in terms of jewels, we're not talking diamonds here, are we, man? Cubic zirconia is at best. I don't know, some of those semi-precious stones like alakites and stuff, but definitely not, we're not in the, the diamonds and the rubies and the emeralds territory here, man. It, we're definitely, you know, this is definitely Pandora and not Graf the jeweler. That's for absolute sure. But now, if we go over to Matchroom, the picture's completely different. It's, look, what do you have now? You've got, you've got Joshua. Yeah, we can all agree on that. You've got Joshua... As things stand, you've got Dillian. Both guys could fight for world titles in the next 18 months. It wouldn't surprise me at all. They could fight each other for the world titles. Or Dillian could fight Usyk. They've got Usyk too. Even if it's a co-promotional deal, they know they've got Usyk 
as a relationship. They've got Golovkin as a relationship, Okoli, Jessica McCaskill, Lee Wood, um, Katie Taylor, let's not forget. You, you can even talk about someone like an Ebony Bridges, for God's sake. They've, they've got all of these names coming out of the ears. And even like Conor Ben qualifies for this, right? He's in the maybe category still because we don't know what, how hard the push will be. But Conor Ben's in this conversation too. Then you've got guys like what? Josh Warrington, Lee Wood. They may even get the... Who, who is this? Jordan Gill. Um, they may even milk the Maxi Hughes thing. There are all of these names that Eddie can call on for world title fights, right? And that dwarfs anything that Sky have. Absolutely. And then you look at Frank, what does Frank have? Uh, Tyson Fury, okay. But he says he's retired, he's not retired. Maybe he is retired, when will he retire? He'll never retire. He might be immortal like Hulk Hogan, no idea. Then you got Joe Joyce. He'll fight for a world title pretty soon. Daniel Dubois has to fight for a world title pretty soon. I think they've got to get their money out. Yard will fight for a title this year. So Frank's got these guys, but look, the numbers are pretty thin. I don't know what the state is with Archie Sharp. Maybe Archie Sharp is in line for a world title shot as well. I'd, it's hard to tell with Frank, but the, look, just those names you're hearing now are good names, but for a top line broadcaster, pretty thin on the ground. Yeah. And then what of Denzel Bentley? That's my question. Is Will they set him up for a world title shot? I wouldn't be averse to that. Denzel fighting for a world title now, why not? I think in his head, he's like, I'll fight anyone anytime over anything. That's the, that's the ones with road in him. Whether he's had the maturation fights to, to do that, to fight in a tactically disciplined way, I don't know. I don't train him. But mentality-wise, he's there. But there's no push behind Denzel either. I mean, there's your British champion. He went on hostile territory, won, came back with the belt. He's a two-time British champion. Now what? How do you build him? But, you know, old old basic Frank Warren won't bother. Just, well, let him, let, let him do his talking in the ring. Do me a favour. And all that sort of stuff there. But, yeah, I, I think they could have really promoted Denzel in a far better way. And I feel... They wasted a massive opportunity with him and God knows who else. Him, Sam Noakes. There's a load of them where they've really dropped the ball. Look, let's be honest. Sky could team up with BT, could team up with Wasserman, could team up with Fight Zone. And Eddie would still put on better fight cards. That's the harsh reality of where we are in boxing. That's how far ahead Matchroom are with everyone. These guys could all team up and it wouldn't mean anything for boxing fans. Absolutely nothing. And it's a reminder of what a terrible state British boxing's in. Because most people in boxing understand that no one has DAZN and no one really watches DAZN to any meaningful degree. Yet they're all happy to commit the, their careers and their families' money and all of that stuff. They're happy to commit that to Eddie Hearn. Which reflects the depth of trust they have in him, right? Well, let's say that. Maybe he's just the... The least worst option. I don't know. But there's definitely a trust in Eddie that there doesn't seem to be in anyone else. So when you look at the, the crown jewels across the three estates, it's not even close. Eddie's miles ahead. But he's not one who is fast to make fights. Look how long it took us to get Craig Richards versus Joshua Boatsy. And then when it happened, 
it wasn't the fight we thought it would be, but it was still a good fight. But we didn't need to wait that long to see it. And so I think when you really drill down, let's think about this year. We've got Taylor Serrano. We've got Fury White. We're going to get Joshua Viusik too. It's a big fight. It looks like we're going to get Baturbia versus Yard, but you never know, right? We're getting all of these fights that get us excited. Spence Crawford looks like it's going to happen. Um, Inoue will take off someone else's head. There are really good fights at this top level in world boxing. There are really good fights that are going to happen. The problem we have with boxing in 2022 is simply this. No one wants to make the mid-card fights. Nobody wants their mid-card guys to be in harm's way. And that's why I'm going to give Sky credit for making Isaac Chamberlain versus Chris Billum-Smith. Because those are two guys who I'd say, Chris more so because he's been more active. But in terms of ability, they're guys that should be pushing for world titles. They're guys who could fight Bradis and that sort of ilk and give them a hard time. So let's see them against each other. Let's see Richard against Lawrence Ocone. These are not main events in their own right, as far as I'm concerned. And the fact that we've allowed boxing to be watered down to such an extent that a main event involves Chris Billum Smith fighting an underactive Isaac Chamberlain. Now, Isaac's talented, but he just hasn't had as many fights as Chris in the last four years. These are facts. That shouldn't be a main event. I understand why it is, because it gives Chris a homecoming in Bournemouth, which he deserves, and Chris is a fantastic human being, as is Isaac. I understand all of that. That's a mid-card fight. It should be a main event. We should be getting those regularly. That, that, that's the kind of fight you'd want on an undercard of the magnitude of a Joshua versus Usyk. But instead, these things are being dragged out. So the mid-card is the problem. Look how long it took us to get Linus versus Denzel. The board had to mandate that. That could have happened any time in the last four years. Why did we have to wait so long? Jermaine Brown versus Zach Shelley. Why did we have to wait so long? But at least they put that as an undercard fight, and I fully understand that. Why are we having to wait so long for these fights? Why can't Nick Campbell fight um, Drago, Steve Robinson? Why can't he fight? Don't give me this. We need to build them up. They're, let them fight each other, for God's sake. And let's simplify it. The winner fights Jamie Shakiva. Let's start making these mid-card fights happen. Because no one's learning from beating up journeymen. That's what we're finding out. These guys are all getting found out once they step past 10, 11 fights. Because they're not built for that sort of pressure. They're not built for that, that, that sacrifice. They're not built for it. And this is where fans lose out. We don't lose out at the top end. Because those fights are lucrative. We lose out at that point where you might have to pay someone 30 grand for a fight and you're not sure whether you'll make it back on that one fight. And so that's why you've got to use these cards like the Joshua card and so forth for that. Like Chisora's fighting Pulev at the O2 on July 9th, right? Who's on there that you're excited about? No one. It's just a load of prospects going through the motions and nothing to get truly excited about. Same with the card that happened on July 2nd with Joe Joyce. There was nothing there apart from the main event. Who really cared? Until we get mid-card fights that mean something and these boxers understand that every two or three fights they have to face some kind of jeopardy, I don't think boxing will ever grow. I just don't see it. And that's why boxing is going to become, um, what do you put it, under attack from some of these outsiders who are looking to come in. So in and amongst all of this, how has Eddie managed to, to stay at the top? 
I think he's, despite his claims of having an ego, I think Eddie's also smart and knows when to put his ego to one side. He understands better than the other promoters, clearly. You don't have to have total control over something to have control. Right? Eddie's not the only promoter on DAZN. Yet, when we think of DAZN, we think of Eddie Hearn, we don't think of Oscar. Because Eddie understands he doesn't need total control. He just needs to do his thing. You see this with the co-promotional deals he has with Golovkin and the co-promotional deal he has with Usyk. He's not afraid to do those sorts of things because he understands it's more important that he's involved than he controls. Eddie's other power is this. You get the impression he cares about his fighters. And I know, you know, you get guys like Tyler Goodjohn and talk about how badly they were treated. But for, for Eddie's crown jewels, he'll put the miles in for them. He'll, he'll make the sacrifice. Look, he had guys like Amo Williams and Otha Jones III flying on private jets being looked after. They couldn't cope with that. But he did the right thing. So all of this stuff. And the other thing is he stays disciplined. I think this is probably Barry's influence. He stays incredibly disciplined. And he sticks to the mantra that the show should pay for itself. So the show should still be reasonably profitable or break even, even if there were no cameras and no television involved. That I respect because that keeps a sense of discipline in boxing. How many times you watched a Frank show and there are three people in the arena? And you can hear them having conversations with their mum. Or I've been at Sky shows where I know they've comped a lot of those tickets out because, you know, I know all the kids in the boxing gyms. Eddie focused on building a product and an experience that would sell and be standalone in its own right. Sky built a product for television, so did BT. When you build a product for television and you ignore the in-arena experience, this is where you end up. When you don't give people a reason to come and see you in person, people will not come and see you in person. If you don't believe me, September, Shields versus Marshall, see how few people go to that if they can watch it on TV. Harsh reality, but true. And so Eddie has been able to do that. But Eddie also bats so hard for his fighters. How many times have you seen people in the rankings like, how the hell has this happened? Or, or when Eddie says, yeah, I've got my guy in the final eliminates. You're like, how the hell has he done this again? Relentless. You've got to tip your hat off to the guy. He's absolutely relentless. And that's how he said at the top of this. Ben Shalom isn't that guy. And that's the guy Sky needed. They needed the relentless guy. BT Sport need the relentless guy. Frank's 70, and he, and he moves like a 70-year-old now. Where he's like, eh, fight can happen, fight cannot happen. I don't really care. I'm good. Whereas, from a fan's perspective, it's not good enough. And so I sit there and I look and I go, no one's going to be able to move Eddie off the, the top of this pile anytime soon and I think what will happen over time is the zone will mature as a platform more people gravitate towards it and you'll be looking there going what have I got sky for and the boxers will start looking at that too now I think it's good now to be on sky like Ben Whitaker is in the right place right now but two or three years down the line why wouldn't you hop over to Matchroom at the moment he doesn't need to be and I'll tell you why because when Joshua fights Usyk at various points, that camera's going to pan onto Ben Whitaker because he's a 258 asset. 
So it will be. It will pan onto a curly. It will pan onto all of them. So Ben will get the visibility of being on the zone without being on the zone. So it's smart. He he will have that cross platform visibility, and I think that's good for him coming through. And I think just the old heads at Sky will guide him the right way for those first few fights. But at some point, he'll want to shoot for the stars, and you might need Eddie for that. But I don't want to be all doom and gloom. Like you got to be realistic, but you also have to be optimistic about boxing you've always got to look for those those green shoots of joy and future satisfaction and so when i look around the different estates and i look at sky and i go okay at the top level they're not particularly good at the moment and they'd admit that they 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 can't deliver blockbuster fights at the moment but what sky will deliver is that kind of hooting the blowfish um david gray kind of cold play middle of the road, safe sort of fight. Like Bidham Smith versus Isaac Chamberlain's a safe fight. You're going to get an audience for that. Because those are two guys who can talk and they're two guys that the public can grow to like. Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall. I have issues with having it at the O2, but I have no issues with having that on TV. I think after Kate Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, this this isn't even the next biggest fight. This is the level up. Because when you really break this down, you've got Clarissa Shields who has won everything. Whatever we say about Katie Taylor and her accomplishments, cool. Clarissa Shields has won everything. Three different weight classes. Three different weight classes. She's picked up a belt. She has two Olympic gold medals hung up in her house. She has done everything. She hasn't lost for a decade. Hasn't come close to losing for a decade. I know people mention the MMA fight, but let's just focus on boxing. And then you've got Savannah Marshall, who hasn't done any of that. But we know Savannah Marshall's a monster. We know that. What a compelling fight. Like Savannah Marshall's a massive underdog based on achievement, but on raw physicality, she could hurt anyone. That's a compelling fight. That's a big tick in the box for Sky. You also have to give them credit for making Kell Brook versus Amir Khan, a fight that we thought we'd never see, and they seem to make it relatively quickly. And you start to look, and you start to see where they're trying to push it. You know, will we get Joseph Parker versus Michael Hunter? If so, fantastic. If we get Joseph Parker versus Huey, cool. Redemption. So... There, there are those green shoots of recovery, but all, let's not forget that Sky have always said this, we're building for the future. It's going to be rough for the first few years, but we're building for the future. And if your future involves Ben Whitaker, that's a big tick in the box. I, I, I'm a massive fan. There's only one question for me. Is he built for the trenches? And I'm not saying he's not. I'm saying we need to find this out because... If it turns out that he's pretty much bulletproof from a chin perspective, wow, we've got someone special. And he's got that thing I like, that he smiles a lot and he's presentable and he's this, that and the third, but he's nasty in the ring. He wants to hurt you and he wants to embarrass you. You can't, you can't teach that. You either have that or you don't. And, you know, shouts out to his pops, man, because his pops is a serious guy in the West Midlands as well. And his dad's actually bigger than he is. Like, wow. Um, I'm going to 
if, if the hotels are reasonable in Bournemouth, I might go down for the debut. I'd, I'd like to do that, but the hotels were a nightmare that time of year because all the families are down anyway. Whoever scheduled that, well done. But yeah, so Ben Whitaker excited by Lauren Price, also excited by um, message her the other day. Uh, she's on holiday and I said, how close are you to your fighting weight? She's like, mm, not far over. And that lets you know all you need to know. Like, she could do anything from, from where she is now, she could fight a middleweight and win. She could fight a light middleweight and win. She could fight a welterweight and win, fight a junior welterweight and win. She just has that, that skill set and that intensity. I think, I think she's special. And I'm intrigued to see how far she can go because I, I don't think there are any obstacles you can put in her way. So Lauren Price, Karis Artingstall, just as a couple reasons to get excited about Vidal Riley, 100%. Uh, God, I don't even know if I'm repeating myself at this point, but if you look at Vidal Riley's last stoppage, that's what I call a junior welterweight stoppage. Big cruiserweights are not meant to pivot around their own forearm, create a new angle for just delivering that left hook. So credit to guys like Russ Gerrard and Vidal Riley's dad, because they're clearly taking him down the right path. And this is what people don't understand. Vidal Riley's boxed since he was a kid. You can't keep looking at this guy as a YouTuber. He's a damn good boxer. All he's missing right now is that physical maturation. Like, if you can keep everything he's got now and have him looking like Mikel Lawal, that's game over for the Cruiserweights. So all of these guys, man, Adam Azim, his brother Hassan Azim, uh, Caroline Dubois, all of these guys are massive ticks in the box for Sky. Real bright spots, things to look forward to. My question is, are you even investing in them now? Are you building their characters? Where are they on the Sky Sports media landscape? Why are you not promoting them? Who, who should be promoting them is more the question. Who's managing them to be offering this advice? Because I don't want to see Ben Whitaker go stale now. You know, I don't want to be sat there just watching repeated videos of him hitting Joby Clayton's body bag and all this sort of stuff. I don't want to see that. I need better content. I want a reason to believe this kid is a chosen one. And that's on his team to start giving us that content. I want to see the Sugar Hill stuff. I want to see what Sugar Hill's thinking now. All This is all very important. Because we're in an era now where you have to create the stars. This is actually, just to, to divert, this is the problem rugby's got right now. Because when I look at rugby, its ethos is the team above everything else. And that's cool. <laughs> so when England win the Six Nations, most casual fans go, oh, we won the Six Nations. Brilliant. They don't know who won the Six Nations individually. They don't know those guys. Those guys can walk through, I don't even know, Preston. And no one's going to buy them a beer because no one knows who they are. And like the idea of creating individual stars has always run counter to the rugby values and that's why it suffers. And now rugby has realised you need your individual stars because they bring in the audiences and they bring in the money. And that's going to force a major rebalancing of rugby culture, which I think would be a good thing. And I think we need to start doing that in boxing from the amateurs all the way through. We need to understand no club, no promoter, no broadcaster is bigger they're the biggest boxing stars. Joshua's proved that. But I think Sky have recruited well at that level. I'm also going to throw Jamie Shakiva in there as well because I, I, I love an old school heavyweight. So I think 
there's reason to be excited about where Sky are going in that sense. Let let him fight Nick Campbell and Drago, and let, let let him dispatch them, and let's all let's all move on. But I also feel the same about Jamie, and I know his management team whole nine are trying. But let's start being creative in the positions we put our boxers in, because that will get them awareness. Just just logically. If you had Jamie Shakiva training with SE Dons or something, have him in goal training, you expose yourself to their fan base. Now they know who Jamie is. People aren't looking at that. No one's looking for adjacent fan bases in which to, to place their fighter. Why not? This is all lazy management at the moment and everyone can do better. You know what I mean? Anytime you need advice, when hit me up, I've got ideas. So, so everything that Sky have done correctly... Frank's dropped the ball on. So if you look at Frank's prospects coming through of any note, top of that list has to be Carol Atalma, who I think is special. Now, if his brother comes with him, I mean, that'd be like Undertaker and Kane, like the Brothers of Destruction. Both very, very impressive. And then beneath that, you're like, okay, who's next? Dennis McCann, 100%. Pierce O'Leary, 100%. Now I'm like, I've got to dig up a guy like Sam Noakes. But... This is all very Southeast based at the moment, which is another one of Frank's problems. Because they had the other lad, uh, was it Mark Leach, where they were trying to say that this guy is super awkward because he beat Chris Bork, who actually is a lovely guy, but Chris Bork was never in that top tier of fire. You know, he, he had that London reputation that a lot of these London guys have. It's never earned, it's just given to you. It's never earned in the ring, it's just given to you. So Frank's stable for junior prospects weak weak it is weak and it's weak for this reason he listens to the same voices he listened to 20 years ago but those guys aren't at the tournaments those guys aren't at the shows they're not in the gyms the people frank listens to are out of touch with boxing so he always gets to things late yeah and when you get to things late you end up having to overpay now, if you look at Eddie, who's Eddie got? Um, Hopi Price, you've got Dalton Smith, uh, you've got Ellie Scottney coming through, uh, Sky Nicholson, they've given a massive push to. I'm trying to think of these all off the top of my head, just because Eddie's got so many young prospects coming through. And you look and you go, well, he's doing a lot better than Frank. I don't know if you can call Bam Rodriguez a prospect anymore. Um, you've got Jordan Thompson at Cruiserweight, Six 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 seven, he should be in some interesting fights. Get him stuck in there. There are loads of guys that Eddie can bring up. You know, Campbell Hatton just to wind people up. And so his pipeline is looking healthy, and Eddie knows he can pick up whoever he wants to pick up. So a lot of these guys who are like, I'm not going to make the Olympics next year. We'll just leave Team GB and go to Matchroom. So there are loads of those guys that Eddie can just call on. So one of the things I noticed. In all of this, I haven't mentioned Charlie Edwards and I haven't mentioned Sonny Edwards. And it's not deliberate, by the way. It's a real shame that those two aren't on a mainline promoter and aren't being pushed. Because for all of Sonny's spiky nature and all of this stuff, he's actually a good fighter. He's a good fighter. Charlie's a good fighter too. They're guys who should be on a, on a mainline broadcaster. Why they're not, don't know. It might be business business affairs, it might not be. But I'd like to see guys like that a bit more prominent. 
a bit more energy for Callum Johnson as he starts to wind down his career. We we don't show enough respect to a lot of these guys. You know, find some entertaining fights for for a guy like Hosea Burton. Why is it? Why hasn't he fought since? He doesn't have to fight for titles, so he doesn't have to be 175. But get him in his sweet spot weight, and let's start getting some of these entertaining fights for the fans. Hosea Burton, Dex Bellman, I don't know. Hosea Burton, Shikan Pitters. These don't have to always be for belts. But if you look at that overall, hopefully what that walkthrough is showing you is that we're not in a bad place, but we're not in an amazing place. And I don't know if the right people are in the right positions for us to fix this. I think this is how boxing is going to be for a while because... A lot of these guys are Adam Smith, Ben Shalom, Frank, um, less so Eddie, are very much in favor of where things are right now. And they try and sell you this like it's an amazing time to be a boxing fan. And it's better than the dark days of John Faxton and Davey, Davey Smith. In those dark days of Audrey Harrison versus Dominic Negus. Jesus, like, we're grateful that we don't have to go through that nonsense anymore. But we're not where we were in 2017. We're not. We've gone backwards from where we were in 2017. And I have no idea if we will ever resurrect that because it doesn't seem to be the appetite to do so. But just on a quick side note, GB announced their Commonwealth Games squad. And I think it's probably the weakest squad GB have announced, definitely since 2012. Maybe since uh, 2010. And... I looked at that squad and I said, okay, of all the people here, who's going to be a world champion? And the answer is none of them. Maybe a few of the, the women boxers will, because they're talented, by the way. Um, Jody Wilkinson, ABA champion, class, uh, Demi Jade, class. There's a few of them who are actually real good operators. But amongst the guys, they've literally had to dig up whatever they could. It's just not a good time to, to be a GB boxing fan. And, you know, we'll come on to that in another episode. So, yeah, the the pot doesn't look that full, to be honest with you, which worries me greatly. But it gives us an opportunity to look at non-English boxers at the Commonwealth Games. Because remember, GB will only announce the England squad. There'll be a Scotland squad, a Wales squad, a Northern Ireland squad. And maybe there we will see where the future is. Uh, there'll be some African nations who should also over-deliver. The Australians come with a strong squad especially on the female side. I think you're going to have Kay Scott boxing. You're going to have uh, Katie Parker. Now she's more experienced now, so she should put in a good performance. I think, yeah, it'll be a good good games all round to see some talent, but from an England perspective, nah, not really. But I also wanted to say in terms of where we are from a business perspective, what I do love now is that we're seeing boxing reached certain levels, especially with like Joshua and Fury, where you're having to engage in complex transactions to make fights happen. So here's something that fans don't understand when they talk about purses. From, from what I've heard, Joshua Usyk's about 35. It's been 30 and 35 million each if it's on a 50-50 basis, right? US dollars. Right. So you've got to put that money somewhere. Yeah, you're normally in an escrow account, and then it gets released after the fight. No promoter has that kind of money. Matchroom do not have that money floating around in the bank. Because remember, you've still got bills to pay. You're still paying for your previous fights because of delayed payment terms. 
you pay your staff, you go pay your taxes, all these things have to happen. So actually, you never have that much money floating around. That's why you go to places like Saudi Arabia. Because normally what you do, if there wasn't a Saudi Arabia, Eddie would have to go to his bank and say, guys, I need to borrow 80 to 100 million to put this fight on. We think it's going to make 120 back, but we need, we need to borrow this money now. And so his bank, be it NetWest, Barclays, whoever, will go into the market and say, we need 100 mil. Who can we syndicate with? And you may get five banks saying, I'll put 20 million. Yeah, I'll put 20 million at 5%. So Eddie's going to pay back 105 mil um, after, uh, after four months, right? After four months, he has to pay back 105 mil. That's the only way you can make these fights happen, right? But that's, that's a lot of money to pay because Eddie's like, hmm, that, that's eating into our margin here. And that's just the cost of borrowing. So when you go to Saudi, Saudi Arabia can get $100 million borrowed at 0%. At 0% with one bank for this very simple reason. They do so much other business that you, you can write that off against all the other revenue that the Saudis will bring in. So actually the, the cost of staging the event becomes cheaper now. The, you don't have to make that extra $5 million. But it's interesting that the Saudis have said, we control all the commercial aspects of this fight now. Here's the money we're putting in to Joshua versus Usyk 2. You guys carve it up any way you want, but we're going to make all the money on this, on the broadcast deals, on the commercial, everything commercial we're making money on. Which I haven't seen before. So credit where credit is due, and it shows that everyone's getting smarter in this game. So kudos to them. And Eddie has no incentive to be lazy because this is a better way for him to conduct business than it is for him to borrow under his own balance sheet and affect Maxim's credit rating. So watching all these sort of transactions unfold is interesting. You can even look at the Joshua DeZone deal, which I also found really interesting because whether you want to believe it's for 100 or 150 million is irrelevant. What it means is they will give Joshua this money not up front, I don't believe, just because the tax hit's not worth it. But you give him this money periodically. And what DeZone will say is, from all of these Joshua fights we're committed to, we want to make our money back. So he'll get a proportion of the fight take. We'll get our proportion until our money's paid off. And then we share it on a pro rata basis between, obviously, broadcaster, promoter and fighter. And... You didn't tend to get these deals before, but the numbers are so big when it comes to Joshua that you do. And I can imagine someone's going to be sat there going, but how did Floyd do it? Well, Floyd's model was, they explained it, right? For a Mayweather fight, you'd go to the casinos. Guys, can you front us this much money? And the casinos could because they knew they could sell all those tickets to their high rollers. So you had, for, let's just say for a Mayweather fight, you only have to front up the opponent's money, right? So you're fighting Manny Pacquiao and you're paying Manny 50 million. Vegas will front up 50 million because they know the gate will do 70. So like, okay, we'll put the 50 in and then Mayweather gets his cut of everything else. He doesn't really need a purse per se because he's running the promotion. And so that's how he got away with doing it in Vegas for a long time. But it's the same principle. Bigger organizations can borrow at zero. Um, a company like Matchroom or Floyd Mayweather can't borrow at zero. Their credit risk's too high. 
So just watching how boxing's moved into that world of complex transactions, well, relatively complex in terms of boxing, it's been interesting. Now, who else is going to be able to get to that level where they're engaged in those kinds of transactions? That's what I'm intrigued to see because with the DAZN deal, the other thing that was clever about it was they said we're signing him as a boxer and a strategic advisor, which meant that you can now have a multi-year contract that goes beyond Joshua's retirement. So if let's say Joshua commits to being with the zone for the next 15 years, they can, they can basically depreciate that money they've given him over those years, which is far better for their balance sheet. And as they look for investors, it's a far better option for them. So now I found all of that really interesting. And that's one of those things that you didn't have five years ago. So that's a definite win. But in terms of boxing overall, I, I do wish we could get back to that energy of 2015. And it might just be that that was the last time you had a lot of the traditional old school, well-schooled trainers in there. I don't know. But we're definitely in a different place now. I just wanted to touch on that. There'll be probably a couple more. Like, I didn't want to bore you with some of the other stuff around, you know, training and all this sort of stuff. But that can also come afterwards. I just wanted to just touch on that from like a promotional and business perspective. And then the next episode will touch on something else. I haven't decided what order to do them in yet. But uh, if you enjoyed it, let me know. If you didn't enjoy it, let me know. We can divert and relocate. You know, we can always, we can always change it up. But until then, guys, have a great day and take care.